Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Yasin Shah. He is the co-CEO of Origo BPO. They are based out in Pampanga, in uh, just near to Manila in the Philippines. Yasin has a really interesting journey and story of his own. Uh, he is a sort of lifelong entrepreneur and started as a digital nomad and then fell into this outsourcing gig and has really ran with it. So it's a great story. Of course, Origo itself is a fast growing uh, BPO and really we talk to Yasin. It's a slightly different angle for this podcast, which is interesting. We really talk about how to the target market for outsourcing and in particular Origo and how to address outsourcing for those target markets and how we can sort of better spread the word of this incredible outsourcing opportunity to businesses across the globe. So really interesting conversation. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start or somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Yes, and I know this is going to be a really exciting podcast. I I, um, have spent some time with you recently. You've got a lot of energy. Uh, You've got a lot of really valuable insights uh, and you're really passionate about outsourcing that. So that's a a perfect trifecta. Um, Welcome to the show, Yasin. Thank you. Thank you. Actually, uh, my voice is uh, shot a little bit. We did our year-end event on Saturday and man, I was jumping, I was yelling, I was screaming, celebrating, singing. It was amazing. So uh, sorry if my... uh, audio is uh, not coming through it's because my voice is shut <laughs> yeah no it's a rite of passage isn't it it's um and for those not in the philippines they're probably not aware of how big the year-end events oh are, yeah the all 300 people you know you yeah. know looking in the, down at them from the stage it just filled my heart and i just went wild i don't drink but right. for for certainly if you know if you ask the team you know my team they're like he was drunk i was just high on the energy 
uh, in the room. And man, it's it, it I'm, I'm recharged for the next decade. Yes, and you, you're a man with a lot of energy. We've, we've sort of, I didn't really know about Oregon until a few months ago, and now I see it everywhere. Uh, <laughs> you're sponsoring a lot of stuff. You're at all the conferences. We were at a conference together uh, only a couple of weeks ago. So I suppose we can start by what, what is Orgo? Tell us a little bit about Orgo. Yeah, so, you know, Orgo partners with fast growth mid-market companies in English-speaking countries. We are at uh, over 300 staff now, and uh, we're growing um, 100% uh, with God's grace uh, year over year. And so that's the 30-second um, overview of what Orgo does. And, you know, we, we're an Australian-based company, uh, we, but we primarily operate out of the Philippines. 80% of our human capital is in the Philippines, um, the executives, and we have some onshore go-to-market team, integration team who are, you know, spread out across uh, North America and ANZ, New Zealand. And what is what is your own journey into outsourcing in Oregon? I, I, you know, we spoke previously, and you, you've always sort of been a digital nomad. You've always worked digitally, which also yeah. I'm very familiar with myself. But um, what is your entry into business? And then how did you get into this crazy thing called yeah? Outsourcing? So you know, at age 25, I have moved to the Philippines. It's been uh, my land of opportunity. And after nine years, or after rather, yeah, after nine years now, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for this uh, amazing country and the people that gave me the opportunity to, you know, growing up in Lebanon, uh, I witnessed three wars by age 21. So I come from a place where you see where a culture that's dysfunctional in a sense, uh, the impact it can have on the economy, on the future generation. And then you come to the Philippines and a lot of people think, oh, it's... Um, you know, it's uh, where you go to for cheap labor or uneducated skills or when it's in fact, it's enabling so many entrepreneurs, so many startups, uh, even foreigners like me who came to the country with just their shirt and a passport can make something out of it. Uh, so it's been a transformational journey for me here in the Philippines. And back, I think, just uh, when the pandemic hit, so I'm, I'm plugged into like the Clark community scene of all the entrepreneurs, all the uh, uh, foreigners or expats who are, you know, business owners or executives. And obviously they're, you know, we have a circle of friends here and all of that. Um, and, uh, one of the, and one of my friends, uh, Rowan was, who's, uh, today my partner and co-CEO, um, he was looking so that the pandemic hit and I came on as a consultant to help him out with the digital transformation of the BPO operation, because they were like, um, you know, physical office based setup. Uh, all they really had in, ter in terms of in the cloud was Skype. Uh, but there's no meeting rhythm. There's no, you know, cadences. There's no uh, structure. Um, and the business was really, really um, boutique, I would say. Uh, it was him as the CEO and then an operations manager. Uh, so there was no middle management whatsoever. It was a small startup that's uh, gaining traction uh, but the growth was, um, you know, really took a hit, uh, you know, the first, when, the, when the pandemic um, uh, occurred. Uh, so I came in to really help them transform to more of a, you know, remote-based or cloud-based uh, BPO. Uh, we ended up adopting more of a hybrid because of client requirements. There is HIPAA compliance and, you know, a lot of stuff that requires to actually have an office. And yeah, and that was my entry into the BPO. So I started as a consultant, then bought in as a shareholder. 
And uh, today um, we are uh, my uh, partner and myself, Rowan, we're co-CEOs. I'm focused on go-to-market, customer innovation, launching new ventures, while Rowan is focused more on the upside and the people side of the business. And with God's grace, we've been um, at, uh, th- you know, triple digit growth uh, the past uh, 12 months. Well done, well done. The COVID just really accelerated a lot of things oh, in yeah. you know e-commerce and, and business, but also in outsourcing, of course, and mm. the whole move towards work from home and remote. And it's really boosted the, I suppose, awareness of outsourcing, the potential for outsourcing for businesses. Mm. And especially as we go into recession now and businesses are, are looking to, to cut costs a little bit, it's just really... Um, all leaning towards the opportunity of outsourcing. But also, you know, people don't really consider that the whole world of outsourcing has kind of had to reassess its own operations through COVID. You know, are we all moving towards remote work? And if so, mm. how is that done efficiently? Outsourcing is is all about managing large numbers of people efficiently and keeping them happy and building a culture around that. So what were some of the, I suppose, you know, through that, really awkward transition of COVID that everyone was forced into. Um, what are maybe two of the main takeaways from your transition over to a sort of heavily remote workforce? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So we've made a distinction between two types of enterprises or companies, uh, people who took advantage of COVID to transform their operations by migrating to the cloud and folks who just needed a band-aid solution to bridge them to the normal state again. And everyone was, you know, in, at least in Western countries, everyone was getting stimulus. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of companies were really sitting on a big pile of cash. And some of it, again, took advantage of that at a very tactical level. Um, let go of their employees, didn't really invest in infrastructure, didn't invest into migrating into the cloud. It's, it was just a band-aid solution to get um, over COVID. But other companies really took it to heart and realized that the new economy is the digital economy. I can compete locally, but operate globally. And it gives me a disproportionate competitive advantage over everyone else in the market. Because when I, got, when I went remote, I no longer need to employ people who are local, right, to me. I can go global and give the right role to the right people in the, at the right time, right time zones. You can now transform from a local operation to a 24-7 uh, world, global operation, right? Even though you may be operating out of a small commercial building in Kansas City. Right. Yeah. But you're competing yeah. locally, but you're operating globally. And that gives you a so so we saw some trends and we saw and I saw it primarily really in the mid market. Uh, most um, uh, the pattern was not, so there we had clients and, and, uh, and some clients churned. And those are, you know, who really, you know, they, did, they weren't ready for a big uh, uh, surprise uh, or a black swan like COVID, so they had to shut down their operation. They're, you know, they just couldn't, especially, you know, if they're uh, in retail or in malls or whatever. So retail took a big hit and they had to churn. But then we saw companies who actually um, accelerated 
And so, so my obsession became why. Why did some com companies shut down while others thrived? And I went on a journey the past two years trying to dig into that. Um, and, and really, the pattern emerged in mid-market companies, especially the ones who are funded, like private equity-backed, uh, VC-backed uh, company, or they have really good unit economics, and they're just hiring, accelerating, right? Uh, they're hiring the digital marketers, the salespeople, and they're just grabbing market share. Uh, we saw acceleration of these enterprises uh, doubling down on migrating their technology to the cloud. And that was just step one. A lot of people did that. They migrated the technology, but not the people. But you can't do it. It's like, it's like, it's like a, like a one-legged stool. You're sitting on one-legged stool. Only your technology is in the cloud. But what about your people? What about your process? What about your data? Having just your technology in the, in the cloud is a great first step. You know, installing Salesforce instead of running off of spreadsheets. Yes, awesome. Right? That's a great first step. But what a lot of companies, they're not really reaping the full benefit of the new economy, the digital economy, the global employment, the, right? Is, you know, adopting people, process, technology, and data. And the key enabler is the people. If you're people, right, but whenever you implement any new technology, right, there's a lot of change management, especially with an aging population. How can you change so, uh, an exec, right? How can you empower an executive to first understand a new type of technology who was running on spreadsheets or pen on paper? And we're talking about Derek, 10 million, 20 million, 30 million dollar companies and beyond still using pen and paper. And there is no shame. Right. They have, you know, you know, now they're using spreadsheets, but then to implement Salesforce and to invest in Salesforce, you know, you know, first of all, you have to educate the executive, but they're at an age right now that they're so strategic. It's very hard for them to get to the tactical because if they're not sold on the technology, their team is not going to be sold on it. So there's a lot of change management that needs to happen. But beyond that and what enables you when you go global and I, that's the point I'm trying to make that our partners who grew during the, during the pandemic um, were the ones who implemented technology, but then they also brought the people mm. with it yeah. to operate they say, They say the, the people that succeed are those that adapt the fastest, yeah, like because, you know, everything is about adaptation and they say business is really just about problem solving, yeah, so it's those that can adapt to things. And I think this... COVID that came along and of course no one expected it was this massive hurdle and those that mm. adapted quicker are probably stronger yes. for it. But of course then there's also different sectors like you can't obviously blame the travel sector for being yes. hit harder than, uh, than you know, a different sector, healthcare or something. And, and I don't uh, want to say even maybe thrive, but they survived. They didn't have to shut down their doors, right? They were all able to bridge the gap from the pandemic to today's market and now they've ex really accelerated. Mm, yeah. Right. And, and those were the companies who realized that with the cloud technology, it's much easier for me to hire a millennial or Gen Z to adopt this technology and have a workforce of millennials or Gen Z who can really, you know, embrace. They don't look at technology as something new. It's an extension of their hand. But it's so hard to find it locally. Right. With all the uh, labor shortage and inflation and all of that. That right, that generation is really not look is not too excited about transactional, routine, process-driven work, right? 
they're looking into AI, into a complex troubleshooting. They're, they're, they look up to the Elon Musk of the world, right? They look up to Mark Zuckerberg, right? Uh, they're, they're, a lot of them are more adopt, adopters of um, entrepreneurship and, and innovation and right, cutting-edge technology. But what they're leaving out is who is going to take care of the ABC, the billing, the collection, the customer support. Right. And so they're having to rely on the older generation workforce who are is still interested because they haven't they can be upskilled on the new technology, on the cloud technology. Right. And really their best skill to handle those ABC, but they're so damn expensive. It just doesn't yeah. make sense to hire uh, an eighty thousand dollars a year collection agent. Right. Uh, you know, 45 plus years who collects about. $200,000 a month when you can hire someone in the Philippines for $25,000, $30,000 a month who collect $140,000 a month, not eighty. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you know, you talk about change management and you talk about all these systems and things like that. And as well, I suppose two comments. You know, everyone looks to Elon Musk and it's all about building spaceships and, and that takes all of the glory. But even even SpaceX or Tesla, you know, there's there's a large tranche of those employees that still have to do the standard work, you know, like uh, the mm -hmm. accounts and um, mm -hmm. management and HR and recruitment. And so even the high flying companies, the vast majority of roles are standard roles and, you know, they still need to be done. Unfortunately, like the rocket scientist gets all the attention, but there's still the vast majority of roles are, are very very basic but in terms of you know you talk a lot about sort of change management and um upgrading to different softwares and things like that now of course i think every outsourcing supplier wants to lend a hand in terms of change management but often i think clients see outsourcing firms as really just a, a staffing firm almost and so how do you go in terms of building partnerships relationships with your clients where they treat you as a partner instead of really a staffing firm and so that you can sort of have a seat at the table. Yeah, I love that question. Um, if you want your clients, and that's what I learned, I learned it the hard way. Um, if you want your clients to start treating you as a vendor and start treating you as a partner, you, you have to start thinking value creation. When you are a commodity supplier, right, you are what you offer. You right. are what you offer. If you're offering commodity, then you will be treated as a commoditized service. No, no matter how many steak dinners and bottle of wines and, you know, right. It doesn't matter. Right. The relationship, right. You're still, they, if they don't treat, maybe they don't treat you personally as the executive, as a, they treat you more as a friend, but they treat your people in a very transactional way. Right. Um, so the way out of it, and that's what we also noticed from the accelerated, the companies that not just survived but accelerated, is they got the base level of the operational excellence or maturity, the A, B, and C, done during the pandemic. And that's no longer a problem. No longer will they have to worry about a private equity-backed company that has three years to achieve its value creation targets and needs to go from $50 million dollar platform company acquire 10, 15 add-on acquisitions, bolt them onto the business 10x in three years. They just don't have the time or the, the resources 
uh, the executive team and the manager to sit down and build the customer support billing collection infrastructure. They've built it during the pandemic and now they've moved beyond it. What they are moving now to is intelligent operation, right? Or, pre pre or uh, you know, predictive operation even, right? They're moving from just the A, B, and C to, okay, how can I deploy data? How can I, uh, what can I automate, right? How can I create shared service center and achieve efficiencies? Uh, so now, really, the demand for talent, the type of talent that our fastest growing clients are asking for is no longer just the, you know, collection, uh, you know, uh, billing customer support. It's your data analyst. It's your bi uh, Power BI, it's your Lean Six Sigma practitioner, it's your people, you know, your X UI designer, right? They're, they're, they've unlocked a new talent pool in the Philippines. And those are either they're Western educated, they work at multinationals, or they, you know, they're just, um, you know, self-learners, or they graduate from a great university here, right? And who usually go and travel abroad to seek those kind of opportunities. Now those opportunities are came to them home because they can do it virtually. They no longer need to travel to a Western. They can still get paid higher than your average ABC talent collection billing, right? But now, like for instance, we're hiring technicians, man. Technicians who fix fridge, ovens, and uh, ACs. We're putting them behind computers as remote technician to support the field technician. And we're empowering them with AI, with augmented reality. We're training them using simulations, VR training, right? To increase that field technician productivity and they can go on more calls and have a higher first time to resolution or first time fixed rate, right? Uh, we're employing RPAs and automation technology across, right? There's a lot of records that needs to be moved from a spreadsheet to an ERP. When you just spend $10 million on an IFS implementation, someone has to, and you've made nine, you know, 20 acquisitions, each acquisition with its own ERP. Someone needs to take that data, clean it up, structure it, and then upload it into the new ERP. And that's very expensive to do onshore. So, so the, yeah. the new the generation. Jobs, aren't they? The oh, jobs massive, massive, massive. Yeah. So those are the market trends. If we start talking about market trends, there are five verticals that we are across and we're seeing some trends where BPOs and um, you know agencies can really step into and deliver more value to clients. And I'm happy to go deeper on that trends if that's where you want to go, Derek. Yeah, do it. What are the trends? <clears throat> okay, so we look at right now, uh, as Oregon, we'll look at, the mid-market company across five sectors or verticals. Um, and all it's all mid-market, right? And when I say mid-market, I'm saying $10 million to half a billion, right? Um, that's my mid-market in terms of revenue size. Uh, companies, you know, mid-market companies in North America, ANZ, and UK, right? That's uh, that's the total addressable market that we, yeah. we consider... Yeah in our um, uh, go-to-market and, in, and in, our, uh, uh, in our business model and how, who we cater to. Now, the question is, that if you look, go to LinkedIn, there are 290,000 of them. 
right? Not all will embrace outsourcing or they're ready. Their, their, their operation is mature enough to really, really take them to the cloud. So, so a lot of them haven't moved their technology to the cloud, right? You got to move your technology to the cloud to make the most out of the people in the cloud, right? To enable them. So you've identified the countries and you identify the the target companies on LinkedIn. Right. So you have 219 of them. So we look, so right now out of those 290, uh, we're looking at about 50,000 of that segment, right? So we took, that's the total relevant market for us, about 50,000 out of the 290. And those are your private equity backed companies who are doing M&A. So mid-market companies doing M&A. That's the segment, the first segment uh, we're building in and expanding in. The second segment are Series A plus SaaS, right? The bulk of them are in North America. The third segment are your double-digit year-over-year growth field service companies, right? Uh, Those are your multi-location, route-based service companies. Um, So I'm talking about, you know, the plumbers or the electricians, uh, of course, Got with it. you know double-digit growth, more than ten million dollars, right? Then we're talking about healthcare, and um, it's interesting. I'll talk about a trend in the UK happening right now. But multi-location healthcare companies, mid-market companies, who are adding new locations every year, um, and that's whether it's dental or general practitioners. And then the fifth segment you've got in there, it's more the professional services like your immigration lawyers who have big advertising budgets or influencers who are leveraging TikTok or YouTubers, right? Who are professionals, but they know how to leverage social media. And that's getting them double-digit, triple-digit growth uh, year over year. So those are the five segments that we're now looking at and building our entire go-to-market and uh, capabilities around. I don't know if any, do any of them stand out for you, Derek? Yeah, I mean they're all relevant sectors, and obviously they're you know they're they're fast growing. Uh, they've got funding, and um, of course, yeah. You know what I find the slight disconnect is that I believe that outsourcing can be applied to ninety nine percent of businesses and ninety nine percent of sectors, but essentially, you know, and we see it as such a clear value proposition. And but then when we approach these target companies, they look like you're from, they look at you like you're from Mars, you know, uh, and it's just a sort of kind of yes. outrageous proposition. Well, so how do you, how do you do that last mile connection like with them? I like it. So when you, when we look at segmentation, we look at vertical segmentation and horizontal segmentation, and that becomes our positioning. So what vertical segmentation is about the industry, but every industry needs right? Customer support. So that the vertical segmentation is your job to be done. Everyone needs to support customers. Everyone needs to send the invoices. So those are your jobs to be done in our innovation language. We call what are the jobs to be done that are common and and then you layer on top of it, the firmographic. And then that becomes your positioning, your target uh, segment. Um, so, and there are other layers we, uh, you know, put, but those, those are more proprietary to our model and, or specific rather to our model to apply to another company because of the service delivery capability that we've built that can't be just copied by targeting the customer. You got to deliver the value that we've built over the past seven years to be able to promise what we promise and deliver what we deliver. And how do you, how do you then deliver that message to those 
prospects or those those target audience? Yeah. Uh, so are, are you literally door knocking, or how do you? Yeah, find I, the, I love uh, that. So that's so then the conversation moves for, to okay, you know your target segments, and in those target segments, what's relevant? What are the audiences? For instance, uh, for us in um, in the private equity M and A. Right now, really, our focus is a certain uh, private equity companies who are our channel partners, and we're not pursuing more channel partners. We just want to deliver to the because they're keeping us busy, and we want to make sure that they keep sending us all of their port calls, right? And we talk, we're talking about uh, you know private equity companies who have six to twenty million, uh, 10, twenty billion dollars AUM assets under management. They do, you know, an acquisition a day or every other day, right? Mm. So there's a lot going on. Now, we're not across the entire portfolio, but for that segment, you have to have a go-to-market motion. I guess what I'm trying to get at, every segment has a distinct go-to-market motion. For instance, uh, for private equity, it's primarily channel partners. You got to know someone, right, in the market, either either a a consulting firm like Tier 2 or Tier 1 consulting firm, that recommends you, uh, uh, you know, accounting, forensics, or auditing firm that, you know, when you do an acquisition, you need to do audit. You need to audit the company you're acquiring, right? So you can be bolt, bolt on or you can establish a relationship with an accounting auditing firm that will sell you through, right? right. Or would recommend you. So it's really about channel partners. Uh, field services, it's all about events, like the Cefesa event, the associations, right? So that's really the go-to-market. Uh, if you talk about SaaS, it's really the communities, the executive communities like Pavilion, uh, Collective Genius, or like Saster. Um, also, a lot of content marketing, LinkedIn Organic, a lot of your um, buying committee, um, and I'm talking in you know go-to-market uh, uh, definitions here, but the the executives or the buying committee at SaaS companies are on LinkedIn, but you won't find the field service executives on there. At least they're not as uh, much of super fans of social media. You got to go offline. Um, so every target segment has its own go-to-market motion. And not only the go-to-market motion, but it also has an experience. The way you you do a discovery and need analysis for an, a small business is very, very different than you do it for a platform company who's, who has 10 acquisitions, right? Um, one is more a consulting, auditing, and one another is more, right? So, they, you know, so your go-to-market motion is different. Your uh, onboarding is different. Your service delivery and pricing and offering is very different. Um, and how does that impact your focus then? Because if you've got yeah, five segments the and then you have five different channels and then you have five different approaches, right. you've sort of got about 25 different combinations. I love there that. that uh, and, you know, you're relatively sort of small and growing exactly. company. It, does it all fall on your shoulders to customize yeah. all of that? How do you, how do you yes. develop? I love would that. It, would it be better to just focus on one of those segments first mm. and, and mm. really get really good at that? I love that. So those are the decisions that we do uh, that we do on an annual basis. So when we look at the market, we're not looking to grab the biggest market share. We're looking to grab the smallest market share with the highest profit margins. We're looking right. for the 80-20. 
And based on, I don't claim to have to have it figured out. Otherwise, I'd be at a billion dollars right now. Uh, so we're crossing the seven figures mark. God willing, going into the eight figures uh, before the end of the fiscal year. Um, so we're building repeatability right now. We're at a stage where we've found the product market fit across those five segments. And now the question is, which segment do you go after? When do you go after it? And how aggressively do you go after it? Because yeah. every decision that you make has an impact on budget, on planning, on targets, on the capability you need to build now. Obviously, you don't go after all of those segments the same way at the same time. That's how we lose money. Hmm. <clears throat> but, are you, you know, are you surprised? I'm always so surprised. Like everyone in outsourcing clearly understands the incredible value proposition of this industry. But you, you then go and pitch it to a U.S. company, a U.K. company, and they they're scared they don't get it they don't mm. believe it uh and yeah. you know so why is there that re that's just such a huge chasm in terms of yep. what we see as the value and then what prospects perceive <clears throat> as the value i love that so you you gotta right there's a saying gotta sell them what they want but give them what they need so <clears throat> what i mean by that and we realize that there's high friction to integrating an offshore remote operation into your, you know, physical face-to-face uh, -face based operation. It's, a, it's an entirely different uh, mode of up running a business. Integrating uh, a remote or a, a remote uh, operating model or a hybrid operating model onshore, offshore is not a small feat, right? It's all, uh, right, there's a lot of change uh, management. So... We start, first of all, we follow the money. Where is the biggest operational improvement that we can bring the fastest? What first time to value, most important. How, what, where, how, how, you know, where are the opportunities are and which one is the fastest to value? Mm. Once we understand that, like for instance, there's a lot of uh, companies that maybe you don't start by giving them the people, right? Uh, there's, uh, you know, a lot of com companies have like a lot of patriotism, especially in field services. Like there's this reputation damage or reputation management. The executive team has to work around and, you know, so that, right, letting go of people, hiring offshore, right? People don't see us as one team in the beginning. They see us as someone who may be coming to take their jobs. Uh, so you got to be careful there. If, so, so you need to assess the outsourcing readiness, of that line of business and how ready are they from a cultural perspective, most importantly, but a lot of times you don't start there. You start with implementing automation or you start implement, you know, documenting procedures or trading a training, right? So you gotta give them, you gotta sell them what they want and then give them what they need. But because once you've built that Power BI dashboard, you need a data analyst to clean the data and upload that data. They don't have that. So they have to now hire the people, right? To, to, so, so that, and then you start giving them what they need. And over time, you know, you start. So that's why we have an entire CSM function that focuses on customer education and adoption. Yeah. How do we measure yeah. adoption? How do we measure and make it? And so a lot of times, like we, the way we start adding value to customer, hey, put a deposit up front, right? I won't charge you. I'll just deep dive on your data. 
I'll analyze it. I'll bring a team of about eight to nine people from an integration manager to ops to my BI, you know, business intelligence unit. We'll do a deep dive. We'll produce a solution design. If you like it, we implement. If you don't like it, I give you back the money. I just want to prove value without yeah. you making a decision to change just yet. Let me showcase the future vision of what this change could bring to you and to your people. Because there's also positioning to the team members. Hey, we're freeing you up from transactional stuff so you can be more happy, right? Um, so we can empire. We're not, our proposition is not, we're not coming to replace you. It's augmented staffing. It's not outsourcing. It's augmented staffing. We're taking the work that you don't like. We're doing it for you. And it's important for the business owner to also think about how is he going to progress the career of the POCs? The managers, it can't be just the outsourcing partner doing all the work. The business owner, when that collection agent has no collections to be made because it's all done offshore, how can you turn him from an agent to a supervisor, to a manager? So there's also right. responsibility on the partner and the client to do their part to grow together as a hybrid operation, onshore, offshore, hybrid, remote, right? So there are responsibilities on both ends. And where do you think the awareness level is of businesses overseas at the moment um, of, of outsourcing of all of this opportunity? They either don't have an idea or they have the wrong idea. Right. That's where the market maturity. I mean, there is adoption at your enterprise level, like your Verizons, your Nikes, your right, um, your global 5,000, there's very high level of awareness, but also sophistication, right? You have operations managers crying after a QBR, right? Because of how ruthless it is, the service delivery model and the SLAs. Um, and then on the, you have the other extreme, you know, the you know, solopreneur who's looking to hire one or two. So there, there's very high level of awareness. In the mid-market, they have an idea. They think outsourcing is just call centers. So that's the level of awareness and there's a lot of education to be made, which is why I'm excited to be on this call with you. And I'm going to the U.S. and, you know, to Australia to start, you know, you know talking more mm -hmm. about this, right? Uh, holding a lot of education, but there's a lot of awareness to be created. So we're, It's fascinating, isn't it? I listened to a podcast with the founder of Upwork and he said in the beginning, it was their job to convince people, you know, this was whatever, 15, 20 years ago when it started as Elance. Um, but it was their job to convince people that work could be done offshore uh, and that, you know, it, it worked and it was accountable and payments would go through and all this sort of stuff. And I think it's taken that 20 years for people sort of now to at least accept it. And, um, you know, now it's it's more a conversation about how good will the job be done? What Bennett, is the price yes. and who am I going to use? Yes. And I think that's the same with the outsourcing industry that we're, we're still very early stage yeah. and it's, there's a big need for education and telling them Absolutely. how it works and the opportunities. Eventually in maybe 10 or 20 years, people will all be familiar with outsourcing and then it would just be more about selecting the, I love it. the supplier so and the partner um, if, if, as opposed if, to having to convince them about outsourcing. Yeah. Uh, you know, Eugene, Eugene Schwartz uh, wrote a phenomenal book called Breakthrough Advertising, <clears throat> and he had the, you know, pyramid of awareness, 
of a market. Um, so you've got from, you know, at the bottom, you've got the people who are, you know, not, not, not aware. Mm. Then you have the people who are problem aware, right? Then you have the people who are solution aware. Then you have people who are product aware, and then you have people who are most aware. And from the top, you've got 3% of any market who are ready to buy right now. Then you have got another 6% who you know, think they're interested, but they're, they don't have their wallet half out, right? Mm. And then you've got like 93% of the market who are either not interested or they think they're not interested or they're not even know that it exists, right? So I think where the market is right now, there's still a lot of people who don't know this exists. Um, a lot of people who know it exists, but they don't care. Mm. They th- and then there are people who know it exists. They, they know the category it exists, uh, but they don't know the actual benefits that it delivers to them and the nuances from one provider to another. Like there's actually a BPO who specializes in this and, there's actually a recruiting firm and the difference between a temporary hiring firm and a BPO and Upwork is this, you know, that market who understands the entire, the different categories of outsourcing and can differentiate between Upwork and BPO, that's where the education needs to happen, right? We need to bring the people who know there's outsourcing and yet it may need to be, it may be beneficial. I've heard it's beneficial, but I've really never investigated the different categories. We need to bring that segment to now understand the options that mm. exist. Do I need Upwork or do I need Accenture or do I need Origo BPO who sits in between? And why and what benefit at what cost and investment level and change management will each deliver? I think that's the, the education that we have to get to. That's, I think, in my opinion, and I could be wrong, the low-hanging And do you thing. think the education and awareness of the market can be really significantly accelerated or is it really just time like in 20 years everyone's going to get it i know that Um, but you know if you force against whatever like nature or momentum maybe you could just expend Ah, a lot of energy and not necessarily advance things much do you think with a real concerted effort people will all click over to it in five years instead of the 20 years no like people are like in our nature i'm lazy right in my human nature i'm lazy Unless there's a, a time frame that boxes us in, we don't take action, right? We want to conserve energy, right? That's how we're, our biology, right? We need to the, uh, spend the least amount of energy and consume the most amount of it. Um, so then you, in your targeting, in your market, how, when you look at your go-to-market and who you want to service, you want to select the people who have a level of high urgency. They have a hair on fire problem. If their hair is not on fire, you may not want to approach that segment just yet. Mm-hmm. Hence, we picked the five people because, for instance, when you take a PE money, you've got three fucking years to deliver. Otherwise, they'll bring another management company. They'll change the entire C-suite, buy you out, bring a whole another set of executives. So there is a stick and a carrot, right? So we look at markets and segments where they have a hair on fire, problem and there's an urgency to put out that fire and we um, we, when we work on understanding obsessing over the job to be done what jobs are they trying to get done and how much of it can we solve and in fact can we provide an a to z solution a platform solution so we can you know 
you know, again, provide a platform solution for a company so they don't have to look other, other, other way. And that's how we become unique and different. We can do it for everyone, but we can do it for a few thousand companies in a specific target segment across five segments, 50,000 TAM. You know, you're talking about 20, $30 billion in three years uh, market uh, size. Yeah, fascinating. Huh? Well, yes, and it's an incredible journey and it's uh, inspiring to see how passionate you are about it. And you, know, it, it, you read a lot of books, you listen to a lot of podcasts and you bring all of that energy into outsourcing. And I think it's with, with people like you and with Orgo that we're really going to see the change in what it means, what what employment is and the move towards global employment. And uh, it, it's going to be fascinating to watch over the next Absolutely. 20 years. And I love I love everything you're doing, Derek. Global employment, I think that's the key, right? Focus on the benefit, right? Um, you know, outsourcing means nothing, um, mm-hmm. but global employment, you get the idea. I think you're bringing something. You're bringing data to the conversation. Like people know a lot of times why they need to outsource, but you're bringing data, and I think that's what makes the conversation with you exciting. Is is you know you're data driven and you have amazing insights and i'm just honored uh, to have uh, chatted with this and hopefully this is helpful if you want to you know f- reach out to me or continue this conversation over a cup of coffee over zoom uh, feel free to look me up on linkedin and uh, we'll connect from there yeah no i encourage everyone to reach out and obviously you can tell people out there that Yasin is a really thoughtful guy and thinks through a lot of stuff and can just offer so much value in, in a conversation. So uh, if anyone wants to learn more about Orgo or, or connect with you, Yasin, how can they do yeah, that? Yeah, best way, reach out to me on LinkedIn and let's uh, start the chat. Cool, fantastic. I'll put I'll put uh, your website in the show notes as well, which is, uh, what is that, orgobpo.com. Thank you, my SEO uh, guy will love you for that. So LinkedIn. <laughs> Amazing. Yasin, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Derek. That was Yasin Shah of Orgo BPO. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to ask us anything, then just drop us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.